The Lord be with you, everyone. And before we begin, let me very quickly remind you that we have a new Bible school cycle beginning April the 26th through the 27th. And already we have a number who have signed up for that. But um, if you are planning on coming, please let us know, because at this point, we are determining where we're going to hold it, depending on how many students. And so please let us know. The It's a little different this time. This first is, um, uh, it's almost a school in itself, in that it is a, a, a course, a study, a module on union with the Holy Trinity in Christ. And it stands by itself, although you can't go on to the rest of the course unless you've been through it. And so it's going to be a very exciting course. I can't wait for this one because it brings together, and yet at a level where we can sit and talk at at length about it, how indeed we're united with God in Christ. And then June 7th through 8th, Living in the Fullness of God, a retreat in St. Petersburg, Florida. And for all of these, contact our office and make sure you get a place. Okay, let's look at a verse. Really, it's one of those that I'd love to read the whole psalm, but we're going to settle for the prayer that is at the end of the psalm. Psalm 33 and verse 22. Let me read it. Uh, Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. Let thy loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. It's a tremendous prayer wrapped up in just a sentence. And I want to just uh, look at the prayer because I believe that it has um, great transformation power for all of us to pray this prayer. Okay, loving kindness. That, that's really the heart of the prayer. Let your loving kindness And then he goes on to that loving kindness be upon us and let it be upon us according as we've hoped in you. So loving kindness really is the central word here. And it is the word of the Old Testament. You don't find this word too much in the New Testament for reasons I'll say in a minute. But it's it's in the Old Testament. It seems to cover the pages, especially of the Psalms but it springs up in many other places. Um, It is the word that describes the unique love of God, loving kindness. It could be translated um, steadfast, unmovable love. Uh, We would have to somehow get the word covenant in there. It is covenant love, loving kindness, Tragically, in some of your older Bibles, like the King James Version, they translated it as mercy, which although it has aspects of mercy within it, um, it that's not the meaning of the word. The word in the Hebrew, chesed, is a word unique 
to the covenant as speaking of the love of God, as a covenant union relationship. Now, I've said this before, but I want to look into your eyes and ask you, have you got it yet? That the love of God is not just a vague niceness about God, you know, that he's vaguely good and vaguely kind. There's nothing vague about God. He has entered into humanity right from the beginning of the Bible, and he has made known to us his overwhelming desire, the desire of his being to unite with us, to be together with us in a functional relationship. And therefore, that love rises up to remove anything that would separate or divide or make that relationship impossible. And at the heart of this word, I say that dominates the Old Testament, is the covenant. You can't speak of loving kindness without reference to covenant. You can't speak of covenant without loving kindness. The two, they're not the same word, but they belong so closely together. You see, loving kindness, this love, the desires, the being of God that desires union with you and I, that leads to covenant. For covenant is the act by which two parties are brought together, bound together by an oath, by an oath that is attended by the shedding of blood, in which two parties make the oath, calling upon God, that they, they will keep this covenant even if it kills them. And even if their blood is shed, and the the I'm still speechless about it. I discovered this back in the late 1960s, but I haven't gotten over it yet. That that God, infinite, limitless God, enters into a covenant, which is something that human beings do in order to shore up their commitment to one another. God came to our level and entered into a covenant so that we would be given this understanding that God cannot, he cannot break his words to us. He cannot leave us. He cannot forsake us. He didn't only promise that, but he swore by his own being I mean, we call upon God, so help me God. Well, who does God call on? And the book of Hebrews makes it very, uh, makes a point of it that, that because God, <laughs> for God to make an oath is for God to call upon himself, which means that God said that if he broke this oath of covenant, then God would cease to be. This is covenant. It encompasses everything that love would ever do for us and be for us. And loving kindness, which was the love that led to that, is also the love that now comes out of that, so that day by day by day by day, the covenant is worked out. 
so that in this situation, that situation, in this relationship, I am beginning to now understand that I am living this life and doing this work and attending this school and part of this family as one who is bound to God, bound to Him, and He is working in me in this moment His loving kindness. He is pouring His covenant love upon me here and now. And so as you read through the Psalms, you will read again and again the word loving kindness in association with keeping and doing. It speaks of his keeping loving kindness and doing loving kindness. You you might say loving kindness is the glue of the covenant. And so that's loving kindness. I could speak a lot more about it, but it's enough for now. Um covenant is the way God is. See, when when human beings make covenant, well, it's really because I, I don't fully trust myself. I need to bind myself in a public way and swear asking upon God's help and I'm going to be everything to this other person. You see, covenant means I give myself in totality to the other party, who in turn is giving themselves entirely to me. And so we're bound together, bound together. And I need I need something. I need uh, to, to say that, I said publicly, I need th- this shedding of blood to remind me that this is until death is part. Um, well, God doesn't need to do that. That's the way he is. His word would be enough. But he came to our level to add to his word covenant so that we would have his word that can never fail, but given to us with covenant by which he swears by his own self, that he will never leave us, never forsake us, never cease in his loving of us. Well, so by the time the, the scriptures are just a few pages in, the the covenant is made. It's going to be made and expressed in a, a number of ways in the Old Testament until the new covenant comes in Jesus. But really, from the beginning of the Bible, we're faced with this. He comes to us as a covenant-keeping God, a, a God that will keep every promise he ever made. And if he doesn't, then God would cease to be. So, Loving kindness in in the scripture is always assumed as it is. Did you follow me? It isn't that, well, loving kindness, you know, the covenant, it was. And and then you go, go, go back to those good old days, do you remember, you know, and then beyond our remembrance, we go, we go back to the great people like the Moses and the Joshuas and the Abrahams, and they, obviously that was covenant, but we're not sure today. No, covenant is, loving kindness is in every moment. It's not something that God has to do when a crisis occurs. It's not something that happens if you shout loud enough. 
No, just just get. I know. I know this is difficult for humans that always live in the past or the future, and always are trying to make something happen. Well, flush that all down the toilet, and realize now, in this is at the beat of your heart. As you take a deep breath and rest into it, the loving kindness of God, His covenant commitment in this moment is, is, is now. And it is. It is because it's founded, hear me carefully here, it's founded upon the internal being and oath of God. That is, God takes the initiative to make covenant. It never entered into the heart of human that that should happen. But God did it. Or some phrase I've used a number of times here, it is that God owns his covenant loving kindness. He owns it. By which I mean you can't do anything to stop it. Again, this is very hard for humans to accept because we're used to thinking that if I do that, then I've blown the whole thing. You know, I did that so God couldn't love me. Well, you're just thinking like a human being. A human being, incidentally, under the great lie. No, understand the scripture makes it plain. He owns his covenant, by which I mean he loves you with covenant love, never to leave you, never forsake you, and keep that until and beyond death. He he made that choice. He made that intention. So he didn't do it as a response to what you did. Do you get it? He didn't do that because you were such a fantastic, righteous person. And he said, I've just got to make covenant with... No, that would mean you had a half-ownership of the covenant. And of course then, it, it doesn't mean that if you blow it or do, do some failing thing, that now you're excluded. You, you blew it, you got thrown. No. Yeah, I, you see, you're facing the love of God, and the reason the love of God, covenant love, is so threatening to humans, you cannot do anything to make God love you, nor can you do anything to stop him. He owns his love. You don't. And therefore, I stand before this covenant and recognize I am loved and loving kindness is working in my life in the great is now. There's nothing I can do except to trust him and believe this incredible love that is toward me. I trust him. I rest my life into him. And all I can do is give thanks. And one gives thanks because one is in the act of receiving a gift. And so we respond to this covenant loving kindness with trust and with thanks. We cannot do anything to make covenant with God. We receive the covenant he has made with us. You see, the covenant is the initiative of God's grace. It's, it's gift. So get used to the idea 
And, and I, I, I say get used to the idea. We, we have a great problem with gift. We, we, some people just find it almost a traumatic moment to receive a gift. And, and so when we say that a person is forgiven or when we gift them in the name of Jesus, they, they get all flustered. And one response you always get is, well, I'm going to pay it forward. Uh, that's an interesting phrase. I'll pay it forward. But what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I, I'm going to give a gift to somebody. And Well, I'm sorry. Look, get this straight. You can't pay it forward because it's a gift. You don't pay. You don't pay for it now, nor do you pay in some forward way. Do you understand? You take it as a gift. Now, yes, find it hard to breathe. But you see, you receive it as a gift and you can't do anything to pay for it or you would screw it up as a gift. He gives us. It's great. That's the meaning of grace. You receive as gift. You don't pay it forward. It is going to transform your life. And you are going to become one with the gift you receive and you will begin to act in accord with the gift. Yes, that I understand. But you receive it as gift. Your life right now, your life as you live it right now in the loving kindness of God, it's all gift. Takes your breath away, doesn't it, when you really begin to think about it. You live inside the embrace of the love of God. You live inside the blessings of God, the pressure, blessed pressure, the Holy Spirit bringing to us, yes, not only spirit-oriented gifts, but gifts of the mind, gifts of the emotion, gifts in a physical sense, which include the healing of your body, which include your involvement with work and earning money. The bias of God is toward you. He's committed to you. That's loving kindness. And it's all gift. And all I can do, I say again, is to trust the giver. And in receiving the gift, give him thanks and confess the reality he's given. See, this is the foundation of the understanding of God's faithfulness to us. And, and I, I've said it, but, you know, he, he's faithful, just his love and his very nature is faithfulness. But he knows us, and therefore from the beginning he's given us covenant by which we, we've got something within our world that tells us he cannot go back on his word. He is faithful. He cannot break his word. Let, let me read to you um, something. It's written actually to David. But it, in writing it to David, he gives to us an understanding of what covenant means in terms of his faithfulness. Verse 33 of Psalm 89. The whole psalm is about his dealings with David. But here, this is it, Psalm 89, verse 33. But I will not break off my loving kindness from David, him, nor deal falsely 
in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. Now, as I said, this is written essentially to and about David, but it's a principle that tells me what loving kindness is. Did you get it? He won't break it off. You won't wake up one morning and, and, well, I'm sorry, you you blew it last night, it's all over. No, he cannot. Even when your senses, which are never to be trusted, your senses do not sense. Maybe you're having a a down thing in your emotions. Well, that's okay. From the from the bottom of your emotional pit, just remember, you're still the subject of loving kindness. He won't deal falsely in his faithfulness to you. What he said he's going to do and keep, he must by his very being. My covenant I will not violate, and I love this, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. That is, not one word of his promise, not one word of his announcements to us of what he's done for us and in us, he'll, he'll never alter it. Never alter never alter it. He won't take out this word and that word. He won't deal with history like our governments do. No, this is what he said, and this is what he is in this present moment. I will not lie to you, he said. Well, I thought I'd read that and let you know that that's what loving kindness really is. And it all comes to a head in Jesus. Did you understand? The whole of the Old Testament is moving toward the grand finale of loving kindness and the covenant because he would now actually enter into being one of us. God, without ceasing to be God, comes and dwells in us. He who is the being of loving kindness and covenant now enters into the very atomic structure of our humanity. Jesus, God with us. And in his death, he carries us to death in himself. And in the shedding of his blood, he wipes out our sin and our failures and our everything that we, we learn from Adam and Satan. And then he raises us from the dead. And he came out from death by the blood of the everlasting covenant. And he ascends, carrying us with him right into the heart of the Father. And we are as close to the Father now as Jesus is. We are in him and he's in us. That's covenant to the ultimate. And he gives to us his own spirit. The spirit of Jesus Christ comes to live within you. Your body has become the mansion in which God the Holy Spirit Spirit lives and moves and shares your life with you. The loving kindness of God is now in us. That's come a long way 
from the Old Testament. The Old Testament was preparing us for that, but now he dwells in us. The Holy Spirit is the covenant, loving kindness, weaving God's loving purpose into every aspect and every moment of our lives. You might say that the Holy Spirit is the realization of the covenant in us. Um, That word realization, no, don't go looking for it in the Scripture, but it sums up what many verses in the New Testament say. He realizes the new covenant in this time-space moment of my life. Right now, as I'm sitting here talking to you and you're sitting there talking to me, the Holy Spirit is right now realizing all the wonder of the relationship, of the union that we have with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He realizes it. Well, what does realize mean? Because this is, again, I say, don't go looking for this. It's not a Bible word, but it explains a whole lot to what the Holy Spirit's doing. To realize, it means to make visibly real that which is invisible to the senses. That, that is, you, you've had this in your thought and in imagination, but now it's been accomplished into sense, reality. And we say it was realized, it was brought into manifestation, um, re- realized. It means to impress the mind with the real and the actual, to understand clearly, to perceive and to know what is real, to be made fully aware of it, to wake up to it, to something that is true and factual. You know, have you ever said, you know, I never realized, you see, what you're saying, "I, I didn't know the truth about that. I never realized it, or I never would have said it. See, you, you, you had never, never seen it clearly. You'd never perceived it. But once it's made known to you, you use this word, I never realized. Well, the Holy Spirit realizes to us the new covenant. And I've used the same word, you see. And I, I, after the Holy Spirit has shown me something about the covenant, I, my response would be, I never realized. I never, the Holy Spirit realized it to me. I got it. I've seen it. He realizes it. That the covenant, the loving kindness of the covenant is now. And it cannot be added to or subtracted from in its fullness is now. But but someone says, and well, not someone, most people, when they hear this, they say, well, if that's the case, why do we have to ask? Why prayer at all? I mean, if his unlimited love that has been forever and finally expressed in Jesus and expressed in a finished, done work. And if the Holy Spirit is now pressing that person and his work upon us and realizing him in our lives, well, surely he doesn't need us 
to to inform him of what's going on and to beg him to give us what he's already given us and cry out all our requests to him. So why, why do we have to pray? Well, you see, the fact is, the truth is, what you've just said is precisely the reason that we do pray. You cannot pray for anything that you don't have already. Yeah, probably you lose sleep over that tonight. Look, but it's a fact. Prayer is not God having to scurry around to produce something that up until now hasn't been. It isn't that he calls an emergency meeting of the Holy Cabinet to say, well, well, shall we do this? It sounds a jolly good idea to me. No, I say it again, and I'm not playing games. The only reason we can pray is what I've said for the last half an hour. It is because this incredible God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit has has given himself in totality to us from the beginning of time, but he came into unbelievable, cosmic... (sighs) What an event that God became flesh to give himself to us. And it's because of that, and because it is done, and it's finished, then we begin to pray. Of course, this might... (laughs) Somebody's going to say, I never realized that. And then you look back on what we've called prayer and shake your head. It's a good job God does love you with a love that takes in all our mistakes, isn't it? He knows what you're up to and don't have to get it cross every T and dot every I, not with this one. He loves you too much. No, you see, you can't ask in the New Testament sense of the word until the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes, to see that all the blessing, and that takes in everything of your spirit, your mind, your emotions, your physical body, where you live, where you work, where you study, the whole lot, the blessing of God covers all of that. All the areas where I need the love of God in a very specific fashion. All the wisdom to handle this part of life. All the power to live it out. The Holy Spirit shows me it's done, it's finished, it is. See, we we believers see what others do not see. That's an absolute fact. There's a world that the world is blind to. It's there right in front of their nose, but they're blind to it. They're deaf to it. It's never entered into their hearts. But a believer is one that their eyes have been opened to see. And when they see, then everything changes because it's not like they thought it was. I think you could say that. I've had enough emails from you guys to to say that having listened to a lot of what we're saying you, you've you've realized that it's only just recently you've come into a full understanding of God's love for you. Yeah, we do see, and that seeing has transformed our lives. Huh. Therefore, because they don't see, we we have 
we have as our inheritance, our right, what we're asking for. See, beg is a prayer is not begging, trying to initiate some action from God. Prayer is acting in response to this massive action of God in Christ. That his loving kindness is and is infinitely with us now in this is now moment. Okay, put it like this. You might have heard me before on this one, but you, you, you're, you're walking down the street and there's this, this, this chap on the side of the, the pathway and he's you know, got a sign up about his impending starvation and his children and, and he, he's asking you, note the word, he's asking you for a dollar, hopefully for more. Uh, sometimes they they add promises. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do the other. If only you'll just give me, and that they have no rights to be there in 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 one sense. I mean, they've got no uh, that there's nothing incumbent upon me to do anything for them. Um, but but they're asking, and they're asking as a victim of life. They're asking as a survivor of the shipwreck of life. They're asking as a beggar, please. That that's, in, in fact, that reminds me of many prayer meetings I've attended. We're 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 a bunch of beggars, and of course, some of our friends actually um, enjoy saying that this whole Christian life is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Oh, my dear friend, I mean, God loves you and. Yeah, but you are missing out on life because, you see, another way of asking is when I'm the one walking down the street um, boldly and with head held high as I go into my bank and I ask, but it's a very different kind of asking. Actually, it's an asking by which I'm doing a bank draw I'm taking what is mine. I'm laying claim to what is in my account under my name. And so there's no doubt in my mind I'm going to get what I'm asking for. And I'm going to get it with a smile. You, You see the difference. The one is asking, but there's absolutely no foundation to their asking. The other is asking with absolute assurance of receiving. Why? Because I've already got it. I'm just making a draw on my inheritance. Or to put it another way, and I I am not a doctor or or a scientist, but I do understand that the, the organs of my body ask of my head for what is needed in this present moment. And so the the whole need of your body for sugar uh, sends message to the brain, which sends message to the liver, and I don't know what else. But um, the, the word, it, it, it's a word you could use. It's, it's the way organisms work. 
that there is an asking going on, but it's not a begging. It's just in the flow of what we call life. Life is asking and receiving so that I might develop and I might be and everything that I'm supposed to be. Okay, do you get the idea? You see, prayer is developing and maturing in this relationship. It's a relationship. See, I, I'm, I'm, I know some of you might not understand it. God doesn't impose his will as a dictator or a distant lawgiver. And, and don't run over that quickly because many people do. They think that God has some rigid will and, and he imposes it on us. And and when I was a very young Christian, the idea, really, sometimes you actually said it, that if you wanted to do something, you could be pretty sure that God's will would contradict that. And, and so whenever you spoke of the will of God, you always expected he would send you to some terrible place, uh, some malarial swamp and... That would be the will of God. When I first began to travel through the mission fields of the world, I found missionaries that were there because of that. They really believed if they immersed themselves in some terrible ghetto, some terrible place, that that must be the will of God. And my blessing was I gave them their ticket back home. One-way ticket. I said, you do far better in your church, you see. You're not, that's not, the will of God is not some terrible thing that's imposed upon us. That's not the God we're talking about. A God is love. He's not a dictator. He's love. He's grace. He's not the ultimate lawgiver. He makes known his will to us in this union that we have in Christ. He's in me. I'm in him. And he in me and me in him. He makes himself known. He makes his will known. And his will is primarily a matter of being, not doing. The doing just automatically follows. So because relationship, this union that has been made by covenant blood, union, that is, that, that's loving kindness. It's a relationship. It's a participation together in life, sharing together all that's happening. So you see, well, right now, I am participating in the Holy Spirit in sharing this with you. I've been participating with the Spirit in every hour of this week as I prepared this. And I know that the Holy Spirit is participating with you right now. So it's not he's got this massive tome of truth that he dumps on you. There's a will of God. No, it's more like a dance where he makes his initiative mood move and I make mine and we dance in life together. It's not a fatalistic subjection to a rigid will of God. It's a participation. Are you participating, you see? Or are you just waiting? What's that terrible phrase they use in church these days? God showing up. It's almost to expect him to say, sorry, I'm late. I missed the bus. But no, he didn't show up. We're, we're in a dance together. We're, he, 
See, we're, we're not observers. We're, we're part of this. We're in it. That's how God created us. He created us to be in a relationship that participated with him in, in the developing of his purpose. See, I, I enjoy boxing. Yes, I do. Sorry about that for some of you, but both Nancy and I, we, we really enjoy boxing. But I have never and don't plan to participate. You get the difference? I, I sit back and watch, and I enjoy the watch. But I'm never going to step into the ring and participate. Well, you see, th- this life in Christ is a participation. You can't sit in the bleachers and watch. You're in this, and, and, and you're in this moment of what you might call crisis, but if you're living in the now moment of his loving kindness, it's not a crisis, it's an opportunity in which to discover new dimensions of your inheritance. We share our story. You see, relationship is sharing stories, isn't it? Um, do because some of you are not old enough to remember when people dated. I mean, the real. Um, nowadays, you go on a computer and tell lies to each other. And no um, relationship. Do you remember the day when when you you took the 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 woman or the woman went with the man um, to a restaurant and and you 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 sat and of course you're looking into each other's eyes so you can't lie to each other. And she can see you, so you don't have a Photoshop photo to look at. Is the real you, and, and and you begin sharing stories, sharing the stories of your life, who you are, sharing your want to, sharing your likes and dislikes. And as the relationship develops, so the stories get deeper and deeper until you are sharing secrets you've never told anybody. But it's all about sharing stories. And and, and they grow in, in depth as you trust the other one. And so trust is developed. Do you, do you remember those days? trust develops, you realize how safe it is to tell this person everything about you. Well, see that, isn't that the whole Bible? That, that's God. That's God's love. That's loving kindness. The Spirit is the relationship. And in the Holy Spirit, this fellowship, this, what, active friendship with the Holy Trinity takes place. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. He tells us all of this. He's he's teaching you now as he's taught me. He's the guide who walks us through where we've never been before. And he never teaches us for, for an exam, you know, where you stuff your head with irrelevant facts. He never teaches you anything until you've lived what he told you last time. And, and he stays with something until it's part of your life, because that's how he teaches And he does, and he keeps loving kindness, and he shows you the depth and the breadth and the height of this loving kindness. He enlightens you to see what others outside of Christ can't see. He explains to you the depth of the mystery of this gospel. He energizes you with love, power, 
to realize and live this truth of God. He tells us the story. That, that's it. The Holy Spirit tells you the story of God's love intention. He tells you who Jesus is. He tells you what Jesus did. And he shows you how you're woven into that as the same history together. And he explains to you your inheritance and tells you the story of all that Father wants to give to you. And then, have you noticed, this is part of loving kindness, he calls out our story, all the details of our life and and living and our temptations and our challenges and opportunities and... (laughs) When we're as down as we can get, have you realized the Holy Spirit calls out your story? What's the matter? How do you feel right now? This fills the Bible. I've never really gotten over this. Because it's genuine. Because, I mean, the first thing I want to say is that if if God is God, he doesn't need me to tell him what's going on. See, if God is God, he, he, he doesn't need me to tell him how I feel or why I'm crying or why I'm laughing. He's God. He knows everything. See, there you go again. Um, can I backtrack a, few, a little bit? God is love. See, yes, if we just had a God... Power, know all. Yeah, he wouldn't be interested in you because he knows everything. But God is love means, boy, I wish I had another two hours to develop this. Please understand me. Don't misunderstand me. But Father and Son and Holy Spirit have chosen to limit themselves to need to hear how I understand what's going on right now. God the Father has limited himself by choice so that he would hear my interpretation of the events of life. He, Father, Son, and Spirit, they, they want to see life here among us creatures as I see it. He wants me to tell him what I see. He wants to know your life through how you are now experiencing and sensing it. He wants you to tell your story. And then he will so gently, oh, so gently, so kindly, he will introduce you to how he sees life. And he brings you to rethink and to align your thoughts and imagination with his and to trust and surrender to his loving kindness, which is going on in this relationship. To get that, I know it's mind-blowing to some people, but this God who loves you is infinitely for real. You see, and again, let the Holy Spirit show us this. This participation with God, this 
telling of my story and to enter into a genuine union with him at that point and to know his loving kindness right here, how I'm feeling. Participation. I'm in the game. I'm in the dance. It's not a rigid thing. I I know we're used to going into the principal or the president's or the supervisor's office and sit down and you've got five minutes now, let's hear it and let's... No. He'll spend all day with you. It's not rigid. Nor, Nor does he have a prepared outline for you to follow because it's going to happen just as in the dance. It's... The dance is being written as you dance it. Life is not fixed. It's fluid. We're we're playing our part, responding to his grace initiative in this holy dance. And that's our part. We We respond. And the amazing thing is that our response brings out his response. And it's so real. Dare I say this, he will wait generations for the response. He will never impose. It will always be a responsive dance. He never ignores our freedom. He wants to know what we feel. And that's the arena in which loving kindness takes place. He meets us right there in our genuine feelings and want tos. I mean, I mean, how do you interpret when Israel comes to the edge there, you know, in Kadesh Barnea, and they choose not to go into the promised land, and they wander for forty years for a generation, and it's the next generation that goes in. Of course, some of my friends say, well, they all went to hell. But no, I don't see that because a lot of stuff happened there in the 40 years of the wilderness um, that teach us lessons today. No, they lived a life of covenant at the level that they wanted to. And on on the God side, he's he's not uh, frantic. He's not panicking. He he says, "We, we can wait. And... We can wait until someone wants to respond to these incredible promises and come in and take the land that I, I gave you, oh, aeons ago. But um, just waiting for someone to come and dance in this. And so the prayer is, let your loving kindness be upon us. Have you ever gotten there, you see? Let. That, that, uh, the, these words, they, they have over the years, they've really astounded me, and they, I never get over it. Let. I mean, that's a human being saying that. A human being is saying to God, let it be. Uh, not only do what what's it won't God do it whether he, whether we want it or not, apparently not, and as I said they they wandered for forty years and had their walk with God and it was at a level 
you could say was their comfort zone. They didn't want to go any further. Well, their freedom was honored, and they didn't go any further. I, I look, can I be very personal and I'm almost speaking off the cuff here, but I, I go back into the, I, I read a lot of history stuff, not so much in dates, but in the people who lived there. And and I read the writings of believers back in the 15th, 16th century, and I honor them as godly persons. But I also recognize they were living below the revelation of God in his great love and grace far below what we have come to know today. That doesn't mean that they were backsliders. doesn't mean that they were less than us. It means that in their walk with God, there are things that they had not yet seen. It's fact. I, I mean, it's a fact that the Holy Spirit was excluded from the Western church way back as the dark ages came in following that terrible moment. And there are, within modern history, theologians that have said there is no more activity of the Holy Spirit today. There are churches on the street corners right here in Bandera that say the Holy Spirit no longer is active among us. It's fact. But they're my brothers and sisters. I, I don't put them down. Um, I join in the freedom of, of our God who is love. He loves them, and they have chosen what they've chosen. Do, do you understand? He doesn't impose. He doesn't say, you've got to have this. It's a dance. It's a response. I mean, let it be. He allows us humans to say, yes, let it be. Or let it be. What it allow it. Permit it. Open the gates. Let it be. You know, if you've, if you've got dogs at all, you know something of it, that they're, they're anxious to go out. When I, anxious isn't the word. You know, <laughs> yeah, they, they won't get out. They're at the door. All you do is open the door and let them, there's the word you say, let them go, pressing at the gates. But we let it be. And pressing at every gate of your being is loving kindness seeking to give you an abundance, a vast inheritance that is beyond your comprehension at this very moment. And this prayer teaches us to say, let it be. The, this prayer, it recognizes that loving kindness is now. And we yield to that. We say the amen and intentionally allow that loving kindness, that living presence of the Holy Spirit, the active love of God into every detail of our lives. In fact, he says, let your loving kindness be upon us. 
and I don't have time to go into a lot of this, but upon us. I love that. Upon us. It means to rest on us. But it also means to rest on us to the point where it surrounds and covers us. So that we're engulfed in his love. Or another Bible word is overshadowed in a cloud of divine light love. It means to wrap around like a tent. We dwell inside the loving kindness of God. And so, so it says in the New Testament that we are those who, who live by grace, by gift, inside the heavens. You are seated in heavenly places. You're seated inside the Holy Trinity. See, legalism is me from below struggling to get there. The gospel is that loving kindness came to us. And faith is saying, let it be, let it be. Um, Well, I I was going to go on, but the time is, I can't go on because we'd be here for another half an hour. And so I think I've said enough, and this brings us to a, a, a good stopping place. So let, let the loving kindness, the unbreakable, immovable covenant that is sealed forever in the blood of Jesus, who comes to us in the Holy Spirit in this moment, this is now. Let it be. Let the loving kindness of God loose in this moment of your life and grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you will, because this loving kindness, as, as the tent around you, you, you dwell, and you do, you see, you do. That's, it's the is now. You might not have seen it, but you've been living. This is it. This is what Jesus came to give you, that you should live in this place, within time and space, This place that is the love of God, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God passing human comprehension. In this place, the loving kindness of God. This is where impossible is made possible. This is the place where there is no separation for you to live is Christ. In this place of the loving kindness, there is no fear. There cannot be anxiety. There cannot be doubt. Well, here I go. I'm starting off again, aren't I? But that's where you are. But you let it be. You respond to that and you declare it is so. This is. And you begin to live in this life that has never entered into the heart of man. Oh, there it is. And now the blessing of God who is almighty, covenant love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing now rest upon you and fill your place where you sit or walk and that you shall know His loving kindness in your life from this day forth and forevermore. For thus I bless you And so it is. 
Amen.